0: um it's tragic you know um and the devastation you know just continues you know it's it's if they even heal you know from it uh, many don't um you know I'm, i wanted to spend some time I and mean, as we open just praying um for the situation there i of all the ages though i mean if i could be thankful for one thing is most of these kids were you know six seven and eight years old and you know, your understanding of, of scripture and an age of accountability, they probably weren't even at that place yet. And so to think and, you know, the only thing you can wrap your mind around, you know, today is the understanding that for them, uh, their life in a sense was like a martyr, you know, scripture would, would teach us and, and they're in the very presence of God today um, where there is no sorrow, <laughs> there's no pain. Um, if they thought summer vacation was going to be fun in a couple days, to think the joy of heaven that's theirs, but that's for them, you know, and and for their families though, it's just a living hell, and it's just beginning, you know. To think, and we because we take so much of life, you know, for granted. Any of you have small children? Have you got any, you know, young kids? You know, a few of you. I mean, you know, it's been well said, you know, that you know, if you've got kids, you know, we need to be hold them a little closer these days and loving them and you know, telling them a little bit more, and you know just appreciating you know what we have um in the way of of relationships is one of the great blessings in the body of christ you know to have the church to even though you guys sit so far apart you know it's it's you know it's like it's one of those things but you know uh, to have brothers and sisters who you can pray with and pray for um but you know to lift this family you know uh, of, of these Children um, that are impacted there. Um, you know, it's a small town, you know, 16,000 people. I mean, everybody knows everybody for the most part and and they're interconnected. And um, like I said, it's going to it's going to be a very, very difficult um, road ahead, you know, for them. And, and apart from Jesus they're I mean, I can't imagine um, what people are going to go through. And so our hope is that the gospel. Um, will go forth mightily and that, um, you know, the teams that go there, um, evangelical groups, uh, the the counselors that they know God and they're able to offer, you know, that support. Being a large Hispanic community, one of the least the good things there is there's a deep-rooted, you know, spirituality. Some of it, you know, obviously in Catholicism, uh, but nonetheless, it's their their belief in God and and belief in Jesus Christ as Savior and, and to turn to him and not away from him. Uh, may they they find comfort and peace. And then, you know, for us is to, you know, like I said, to be prayerful about what what is it that we can do. You know, we, we have responsibility in the world um, to pray. Um, and then to be led, you know, of the Lord as to the things that he would have us do. Um, you know, as Kat was, you know, praying, you know, there in worship. I mean, it's easy for us. I mean, even, to, you know, um, we make all kinds of decisions about life and, you know, Family and all these type of things and you know yet, you know, the Lord has a will for our life and and children are you know They're a gift from God and they're to be treasured and um, and to be loved and You know we expect as children to bury our parents, but we never expect as parents to bury our children it's just so out of God's order, you know for us and so um we just pray that god would help us to be obedient in what he would lead us to do and praying for these families and ministering there Uh, and then even in our own city um you know i'm going to share some things tonight that are just along those lines but i wanted to begin by just praying with you um you know for that community there um for everybody who's impacted and not not just in that city i mean we are as a country you know this isn't the first you know deadly shooting that's taken place on a campus where children have been killed Uh, and each time it occurs I mean it's like tearing off a a scab or reopening an old wound for people Um, and it's just one of those things where it just since the enemy just has a field day and and we see you know becomes a political thing in our country Um, Jesus said it best you know, this isn't a political issue you know it's a spiritual issue and we need to be mindful of that Jesus said, if my kingdom you know, was of this world, my disciples would fight. He said, but his kingdom isn't of this world. You know, if I told you the New Testament in a nutshell, here it is when you think about you know, the New Testament, it's Jesus being born into this world. That's how the gospels begin, that God himself came in human form, took on, on human flesh, walked on this earth and did miraculous things, did miracles and he taught and he revealed God to people. Uh, they, they understood, those that were close to him, that his claim was that he was God, that he and the Father were one, and that ultimately he would go to a cross where he would die. And no one would take his life from him, he declared. He said that he would lay his life down. And on the third day, he would rise again. And when he First would go back to heaven, he would ascend back to the throne of God where he would pray for us, he would intercede for us, and his word says that he would prepare a place for us. And then one day he said, and this is what gave his disciples the greatest hope, it's what gives us hope today, that one day he's going to return. And when he returns, he's going to establish his peace and his righteousness and his justice upon this earth. Once again, we will know, you know, his kingdom will come and his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We call that the millennial kingdom, right? And, and the enemy will be ultimately defeated and, and we will be with the Lord forever. And so when you think about that as the story, you know, the New Testament, and it's why the apostles who spent time with him, um, they went about telling people the message of God and, and that God came into this world. And, you know, and we talk a lot about forgiveness, but the ultimate reason Jesus came into this world wasn't to forgive us. He came into this world to restore us back to a relationship with God that was broken because of sin. Forgiveness is just the means to the end. But you don't hear Jesus talking all the time about forgiveness. What you talk about is being one with the Father being one with the son, being one with the Holy spirit. You know, Jesus in John 17, he said, father, I pray that they would be one as we are one. He didn't say, you don't see anything in his great earthly prayer in John 17. He was saying, father, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. No, the forgiveness is what he accomplished on the cross for us. But what did that accomplish is that we would be together with him forever. You know, that we would be in the very presence of God. And we have, you know, as, we've been studying the book of Romans. We have a down payment of that right now, right? We have the Holy spirit was given as a down payment. We have a taste, but it won't be the complete until that day that he comes and he takes us home. Whether that be through death ourself or through the rapture, of the church where we're caught up to be with the Lord. But when that takes place, that's when, you know, man, heaven and earth meet, you know, for uh, the most glorious experience on you know, the believer's life. And that's the believer's hope. And that's why in, situations like this when you face this um i am mindful of you know remember when when david when he sinned with Bathsheba, right and the lord took his, his child and when david was praying remember he kept praying you know god you know heal my son heal my son heal my son and the lord didn't he took him and when david came out after fasting and praying remember all of his you know uh henchmen all of his mighty men you could say Um, they were scared to death that David was going to go berserk and they were all going to perish because of it and his anger. But he came out and he was calm. He was peaceful. And he said, basically, said, I can't bring my son back, but this I can do. I can go to him one day. He saw it in the proper perspective that children, you know, they're safe with God. And and that's the hope that we have today. And that's really, uh, you know, for me, what we pray for those families is we pray that they somehow, some way, see the, 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 the hard part's going to be, and we understand it is for them to go, but I don't have my child with me. And I, and I get that. I can't even fathom, you know, in the truest sense what that, what they are going to suffer through. I mean, to think of, they look at that as finality, right? But it isn't final. They've just gone on ahead. I can't bring them back, but I can go to them one day. They'll see their children again. If they themselves, who are at that age of accountability, have received the forgiveness of their sin and have been restored back to relationship with God, made possible because of Jesus Christ. And we pray that for these families, that they would know that comfort. You know, scripture says we comfort one another with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted by God. It's not that we are comforting each other. There's no comfort that you and I in the truest sense can offer them, but God can offer them that comfort, amen. And so we pray for that tonight and then along with that um you know angie leticia's daughter she contacted me this afternoon we've been praying for her for leticia um doctors don't even know what she has contracted but uh, she's basically on life support right now um and things don't look good um but you know what is a miracle a miracle is when you get to the end of what man can do and it's the beginning of what god can do amen and she's at a place where she needs a miracle. And so we pray for that tonight for Leticia. We want to pray that, that God would give her a miracle. Um, my joy in her and knowing her is she loves Jesus. So, you know, in one sense, if I could talk to her right now, she might go, Pastor Mike, you know? And, and I know many that get to that place and they're just like, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. And the key is, you know, for all of us is, you know, that could be me, it could be you, you know, today, tonight. Um, are you really ready? It's not that we say we're ready, but you know, are you really ready in your heart of hearts? Do you have that peace? And that peace will come out in the way that you live your life. I mean, you won't, you won't be bitter, you won't be angry, you won't hold grudges and all that. You go, those who, what, have been forgiven much are the ones that love much. And you go, when you understand how much you've been forgiven, your love is just a natural thing. Those that, what, forgive little, love little. And who love little, forgive little. You know? So it all goes hand in hand. Uh, I'm just blessed to know that, you know, man, she loves Jesus. And, and I know she knows. And one of the neat things about where she's at, she was able to still communicate a couple of days ago. And they were able to tell her, you know, that everybody's praying at church, you know, for her. And her daughter said, you know, a tear came down. and she, she, she winked. She understood. And I know she really appreciates the fact that, you know, we're praying for her. And so we want to do that tonight. And then just anybody that you can think of, you know, that is going through it, um, you know, people are going to respond differently you know to this people are getting really angry and and rightly so but our hope is that it will become a righteous anger you know um not not political in that respect i mean there's a time for politics um but uh, really for us to put things in perspective is to go back to what jesus said that you know this isn't he said you know this isn't his kingdom in that that regard you know when he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. Remember, the devil offered him. He said, if you'll bow down to me, he said, I'll give you, showed him all what, the, the treasures of, of these earthly kingdoms. He said, it can all be yours. And you go, because it's in, under the enemy's control at this point. You know, so, uh, again, Jesus said it best. This kingdom, you know, my kingdom's not this world. This world's passing away and everything that's in it and so to really understand that we're to set our affections on the things up above and these are things that are trying to distract us and to get us you know to take our eyes off the lord and in what we're seeing in the last days when it says that you know the all the discourse there in matthew 24 and 25 you know you've been studying that um is that anything the enemy can do to get us to become frustrated with god to turn our back on god that's that's a win for the devil And Jesus said it. He said, you know, that many, their love is going to wax cold. I mean, that's the thing. and Because that's what's going to prove it out, that who really is of God and who's not. Those that are of God will continue to love, and they'll love their enemies. They'll love those that are close to them. And those that aren't, they'll fall away. I mean, it's always, you know, it's a victimization, you know, mentality. They blame other people. They'll do everything else, but they won't take personal responsibility. But those that do, they're going to go, you know, God, (laughs) I stand only in the grace of God. I stand only in the, the power that you provide, you know, for me. And so, again, we pray that in these times of darkness that we would do exactly what God would call us to do. We should shine in this moment. The, the darker the world gets, what should happen to the church? We should just shine brighter and brighter. Amen. And, and that's, our, that's our prayer is, God, you know, we're not worried about I'm not shouting at the darkness. It's like, turn on the light. That's the key. I mean, you can walk into a dark room and you complain how dark it is, or you can flip the switch. I mean, it's your choice. You know, stub your toe, turn the light on. You know? And you ever try to do that? Like you go, I'm not going to turn the light on, and you because you think you know where everything's at, right? And then you, then you don't turn the light on. All of a sudden you you know ah, and then you know it's like, and then you're thinking, why didn't I just turn the light on? And you go because we think we can make it in the dark, and we can't. It's just so all the more as we look at these things today, and it's going to get darker. Jesus said it's, you know, and I think about this just in the way God created the heavens and the earth, right? When is it darkest in the course of a day? Right before the dawn. Amen. So you think about that. So as the world gets darker, what is it doing? We're one day closer to the return of Christ than when we first believe. And so not to give up hope, but to look up and, and to make it our prayer, you know, come quickly, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for tonight and Lord, I thank you for these that are here and pray that as we look in your word, uh, Lord, that you would bring us strength and that, God, you'd bring us comfort tonight. We need it so desperately. Um, We pray for the entire city of Uvalde, Texas there and those families that lives have been devastated uh, by this horrific crime, this horrific evil. And, Father, we, we pray... Lord, that you would do what only you can do and close in the wound of their heart and Lord, help them to rest in you. May you send them um, ministering angels, Lord, the same way when you were in the garden of Gethsemane, um, your word says that you were so distressed that blood began to to break through your, your capillaries and pour out your face and And if it was not for the angels of heaven who came and comfort you, you would have literally died right there. And thank you for ministering angels. Thank you for the saints, Lord, that are moved with compassion, Lord. Those that are traveling from all over the country and even around the world that are just feeling led of your spirit to be there. Whether it's to pray, whether it's to provide meals, whether it's to interact and provide counsel and care that people could, could see your hands and your feet, Lord, through through the church, whether it's cards that are made by children from churches around the country or notes that come and that, Lord, all those things, they, they worked. They worked to bring peace, but nothing compares to prayer. Nothing compares to even these moments right here. We can feel that, Lord, what does it really matter what difference does it make but lord it makes all the difference in the world because you hear our prayers and your word says that you're you're already moving even before we say amen because you know what we have need of even before we ask and so lord we ask for healing tonight we ask for comfort we pray for peace lord in those homes we pray that the enemy would be defeated lord that the schemes of the wicked one who comes to steal and to kill and destroy would be thwarted by the outpouring of love, by your Holy Spirit working through people, Lord, your church, your bride. And Father, we pray for our country, that, Lord, this wouldn't further the divide, but, God, that it would close the gap, that it would bring people together to see what the real issues are, that we were a country that was founded on one nation under God. And Lord, we confess that, Lord, we've, we've lost our way, that, Lord, we, we have ceased, Lord, to seek you as a country, as a people. Lord, we've gone after our own desires. And Lord, we pray that, God, by your grace and your spirit, Lord, you would draw us home, that these trials Lord, as James would say, count it all joy when you suffer the various trials that the testament of your faith produces perseverance, that these things would work to a positive end. No weapon formed against us would prosper. And Lord, we pray for those that are in government there, in that city, that Lord, they would make wise decisions to help people feel safe and secure. But Lord more than anything god we pray for the body of christ there to lift up jesus in that community where people lord can find refuge in him they can find life they can find hope they can find peace they can find everything lord that their heart truly desires by coming to you and lord we pray that more than anything And for our own church family here, for those that are sick amongst us, we think of, again, Letitia tonight. Lord, be with her. Do the miraculous, Lord. Touch her body. Put a hedge of protection about her. Give wisdom to her doctors. By their own confession, they're unsure, Lord, of what she has. But, Lord, you know exactly because, God, you fashioned her. She was fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Be with her family, Lord. Bring them comfort like only you can. And again, thank you, Lord, that she loves you and she knows you. And thank you, Lord, that no matter what, Lord, she's safe with you. And so, Lord, we we lift this night to you. We pray more than anything that, God, you would move us, Lord, closer to you through the things that we would see tonight, the things that we would hear. Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way. Give us eyes to see tonight, give us ears to hear, Lord, what the Holy Spirit has for us. And you have so much, Lord, so much more than we can even contain. You say that you would pour out the blessings of heaven upon us, that, Lord, they would fill us up and overflow us, that, Lord, they would flow to other people. And Lord, that's what we pray for tonight. Just an overabundance, Lord, of all that you have for us. Not just for ourselves, but Lord, that we can minister effectively, Lord, to others. And above everything, Lord, tonight, our prayer is be magnified, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You know, tonight, there were just a couple things, you know, as as I was reading just different news clips and listening to the news and, and listening to different pastors that I appreciate their ministries and just getting a kind of a... A feel for you know what people were thinking and what they believed that the Lord was saying and and I, I wrote down a few things that I wanted to share with you tonight you know and and you know one of the things as we begin I I wanted to title this you know help for the broken hearted because uh, if if it if your heart's not broken today to a certain degree we're probably either callous or we're we're just self absorbed to be honest with you because. You know, the Bible says we rejoice with them that rejoice, right? And we sorrow with them that sorrow. And to not, you know, we go, oh, it's just that's in Texas, you know. It could have easily been here. I mean, it could be, you know, anywhere. Um, but we do. We just become so desensitized or, you know, for many of us, you become cynical, you know, about life. Um, and it's just a dangerous place and that God would allow us, you know, to to feel, um, you know, we would empathize and sympathize, you know, with others, um, especially in moments like this. I, I put in my notes. You know, that every problem, you know, every sin in the world finds its root in brokenness. You know, I want you to think about that. You know, tonight it begins with broken fellowship with God, and then broken fellowship, you know, with others. I think of the the shooter in this case was an eighteen year old kid. That um, you know, they, so far at least they haven't been able to identify mom and dad. He was, you know, either living with his grandmother or something and ultimately you know shot her in the face she's still alive clinging to life um but there's so much that that came you know from that as i began to think about that and pray about that you know the cure for these things these ailments that you know we see you know in our country is you know obviously first and foremost is to admit that there's a problem and and stop treating you know the symptoms and that's where politics you know obviously come in but as as believers you know we focus on god and what God would have for us. And I think, you know, I, it's pretty safe to say, and I think you would agree, um, we need God. Amen. Our our country needs God like, like never before. I mean, um, really, like never before. And, and again, I'm so thankful, you know, for the church. And so thankful for the relationships that, you know, I have in the body of Christ. You know, with so many of you, um, it's, you know to not have to go through life alone. You know, you think of there's so many people in this world that they, they go through life alone because they isolate themselves, you know, from the very thing that God created us for. He created us for unity. He created us for community, you know, to be able to live together, to function together. It's the beauty of what we see in the book of Acts, right? As the church came together and they met each other's needs, as they broke bread and they fellowship, they continued on in the word, the very things that, you know, that you're doing tonight. Um, so different, you know, than the world. You know, Psalm thirty-four, eighteen tells us this. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Just a great reminder tonight. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, you know, because people, where is God, you know, in this? And he goes right there. He's right there. But, you know, I could be facing this way and God's right there on my back. He's got my back, you know. And I think he's close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And I think if there's ever a passage that really describes what's going on in the life of the families there, you know, in Texas, I mean, man, they they are crushed. And and to find comfort tonight that God is right there. You know, I watched the, the news last night. There was an interview with Pastor Greg Laurie. And he said some things that were really important for, for us to remember, you know, in moments like this. He said, you know, the depth of your sorrow is an indication of the depth of your love. And that's not just something for the families, you know, that are just broken and you, you hear the weeping. You know, that's one of the things for first responders. You know, we, we need to pray for them even before we go, um, who are now even in one day, one day are already suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. Because of what they saw, can you imagine as a first responder walking into a classroom and seeing children, you know, dead and some clinging to life? You know, they were actually having to perform, you know, life-saving measures on, and, and then to lose that child, and and to think what they they literally had to see, what they had to look at, and for many of them, like I said, recovering from that, I, you go back and study what happened after 9/11 and how many New York firefighters, you know, went on to become. Alcoholics and drug addicts went through divorce, ultimately committed suicide. Um, these things are far reaching. You know, there's, you know, it's, it's so horrific, the things that happen. But to think of that, the depth of your sorrow is an indication of the depth of your love. And, and not be afraid to hurt, not be afraid to cry, um, not be afraid to just pour your heart out, you know, to the Lord. Um, Charles Spurgeon, I love, he said this, he said, prayers are are instantly noticed in heaven. I love that. Think about that, you know, tonight. Prayers are instantly noticed in heaven. You know, may these things, more than anything, drive us to prayer. You know, may, you know, I, I think about this, I try to raise my kids doing this. Every time I see a, a police car with its lights on or an ambulance, I always pray for them. I know some of you do too, you're nodding. Um, it's just one of those things that, you know, even at this, my age, you know, I'm, I'm st- I still I stop and I pray, I go, Lord, you know, wherever you're going, you know, the ambulance is going, be with the, the ambulatory, you know, personnel, be with that family that they're going to may, you, you know, get them quickly to the doctors and, and may there be believers there that can actually comfort them. I mean, there's something about real people that can say, Hey, you're going to be okay, you know, and to hear that from somebody, you know, in that situation, you know, cause that's a lot of times people are, am I going to die? You know, and then if you were, you know, for someone to you know, be able to go, hey, do you know, do you know Jesus? You know, can't be bashful about that. You go, why? Because it's real. People go, huh, there's a time and a place. And you go, yeah. And then every time is the right place, you know, um, when it comes to eternity, you know. Um, you know, I like what Pastor Greg Laurie said, you know, Christianity isn't a crutch. He said, people say Christianity is a crutch. He goes, listen, it's not a crutch. He goes, it's a hospital. It's an ambulance. It's everything, you know, to us. And that's so true. That's what God, you know, intended it to be. Um, you know, he, he went on, he said, there's comfort for those that are in Christ Jesus. And, you know, again, just being reminded, you know, he lost a son, Christopher, 14 years ago in an auto accident. Christopher was headed to the church. I remember hearing it on the news, you know, just moments after it happened there in Riverside. And imagine, you know, just that as a parent, you know, losing your son. So Pastor Greg is a perfect person to have in that situation. He can talk to parents with, with a sense of authority of someone who understands, who's been there himself and who is there himself because that pain doesn't ever go away. But to be reminded, you know, and, and things I want to share with you because we have so many conversations and things are going to be coming up, you know, so we're, we're, what we're called to do is to be equipped, right? So the things I'm sharing with you tonight are to equip you in how to have conversations that turn the conversation from politics and all the diversions and all the things that people are going to want to kind of talk about and to pull it back to what really matters most. What's going to matter a hundred years from now is what we did with Jesus Christ. Amen. And not all the things that, you know, we can make it about. And it's our responsibility as believers to to bring it back to that light and, and to remind people, you know, has God been faithful? Is he faithful? You know, Kat was sharing that, you know, in worship. I mean, God's good all the time. Whether you see his goodness, he is always good. He is good all the time. Uh, I I can't remember uh, who it was. Um, Oh, gosh, he's an actor. I saw him yesterday, and he said this. He said, talking about, like, worry, he said uh, um, something to the effect. He he said, you know, uh, today was yesterday's tomorrow that you were sure that, you know, tragedy was going to strike or something like that. I had to think about that, you know, a few times. Uh, And it's so true. We, We worry about so many things, Jesus said, but God is faithful and he was faithful yesterday and he'll be faithful today and he will be faithful forever. Amen. And so just being reminded of that. So are we going to see things that don't make any sense to us? You go, absolutely. Are we going to go through circumstance and situation that don't make any sense? You go, absolutely. You go, but God, is God faithful through it all? And you go, yes. And, and somehow, some way, you know, all things do work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. He never said that all things were good. He just said all things work together for good. And that takes tremendous faith. You know, I was looking at a, a following my Instagram thread and I follow a, a lady who um, lost a child to cancer. And I remember years ago when I first read something she posted and it really just appreciated her transparency, just the rawness of what she was willing to share. And uh, so I was, I was interested yesterday to see what she wrote with regard to, you know, these um, these deaths because she had a a daughter uh, that was that age when, or actually maybe a little younger when she passed away. But she wrote this. She said, My heart bottomed out and the room began to spin when I heard the soul-crushing news about Texas today. I wanted to stop reading, stop watching the footage, stop the images of devastation from entering my mind. Often I will shield my heart from what it isn't yet secure enough to process. But this time I didn't. This time I allowed my thoughts to envision these families breaking wide open, burying their babies, reeling from a world turned upside down in the blink of an eye. I won't pretend to know the specific pain, fears, and trauma that are dreaded, uh, that this dreaded day will infect their, into their joy uh, for a lifetime to come, but I will allow my own trauma and pain of losing a child to strengthen my resolve of not turning away to allow my heart, and my prayers to step into the darkness with these grieving families as many of you have done for us. This is what grief is designed to teach us that love connects us and grief above all else magnifies awareness of our love and increases our capacity to love. And I thought that was so beautiful, you know, with regard to that's what James was saying, right? count it all joy. You know, my brother, when you fall into various trials, that it produces perseverance at the end result of it. And she's kind of saying that she said, you could say that grief puts our love on a pedestal, making it undeniable. I believe that a grieving heart is experiencing love in its most raw and potent form. And so we use our experiences with grief to increase our empathy with others who are navigating the impossible even the magnitude of what they have lost feels unfamiliar to us this is a way we can show up with open eyes and open hearts to the pain consuming the broken hearted my heart breaks and my prayers are unceasing for the loss of so many children and the lives in this devastating act of violence i thought man that is just so well put you know that even in the process of grieving you know, God uses it to expand our capacity to love. Because what happens, I mean, it's happened in many of your lives. You, you sympathize and you empathize, right? So it doesn't close your heart. It actually makes you want to love more. You know, there are many families, you know, that yesterday they did. They pulled their, their kids a little closer. They sought to love them a little bit more. And you go, and that was pain. And then you go, was that a bad thing? And you go, no. And so God is working through all these things. And that's the key. We have to be able to look through and rise above the fog. It's kind of like a I've ever been on a plane that was in the clouds and it's in the turbulence and the plane's shaking like crazy, right? You think it's going to, you know, like the wings are going to fall off, right? And then it just breaks through the clouds and it feels like the plane just kind of itself went, oh, thank you, God, you know, and it just starts what smooth sailing. And we call that what rising above the clouds. And, and God will do that, you know. He says, "Those who wait upon the Lord shall what? Shall renew their strength. You know, they shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. They shall, you know, take up like with the wings, you know, of eagles. You know, and you think about that. It's like, oh man, soaring. You know, and that's what God ultimately wants us to do. Then I started looking at, you know, yesterday, grief, you know, and the impact of social media, you know, on society. And and this was really profound when I think about things that, you know, we need to, again, warning ourselves in the church and in the world. It said this, that social media is an odd thing. It says, in the past, when tragedy happened, people would process it within their own families and their circle of friends. This is assuming they even heard of the tragedy where they lived. It says, now we collectively go through a tidal wave after tidal wave of tragedies together, we know almost the moment that they happen, and that's something that we need to take in mind because you start you you internalize these things. You start processing. You realize, man, there's why am I mad? You know, have you ever done? Why am I angry? Why am I so bitter? Why am I? And you go, you know, again, what is that expression? Garbage what? In, and what happens? Garbage out. You know, so be careful. Like even who you're hanging around with. I mean, you think, well, these are all my church friends, and you go, well. You know, they feed you a lot of garbage. You know, and then that garbage, you oh, know, but they're they're sanctified garbage. Well, it's still garbage. You know, and you go garbage in, but garbage out. You know, and and I love what it says. It says this doesn't leave time to process, to grieve, and to properly work through the emotions that come with such things. We are overwhelmed with so much evil that we again can become cynical, reactionary, and we draw lines way too quickly. You know, Greg Glory. He posted the following. Quote from Psalm 46.10, he said, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He said this, I wonder when we stand before God if he will ask us about what we did with our time. People waste so much time every day and they waste a lot of it on their cell phones. Kids spend eight to 12 hours a day on a cell phone. Teenagers spend about nine hours a day. Adults spend around four and a half hours per day. It's a big waste of life in many ways. I think we need to make a conscious effort to put down our devices and spend time with each other, talking to each other and listening to each other. Could you agree for a second that that could be a possibility of many of the problems that we're facing in the world today? That people have just become isolated with you know technology. He went on, he said, most importantly, we need to spend time with the Lord. And that's really what he was communicating there you know, in Psalm forty six ten, be still and know that I'm God, right? Quiet yourself, you know, set aside that place where you can get alone with God. And he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That we'd be aware of what the Lord's doing. He went on, he said, interestingly, when someone asked Billy Graham if he had any regrets in his life, he said, Yes. He wished that he had spent more time praying, more time studying the Bible, and less time traveling and taking speaking engagements. He said that he also wished that he had spent more time just telling the Lord how much he loved him. One day, we'll be held accountable for what we did with our time, and perhaps even for the opportunities that we missed. When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we will want to know, Jesus will want to know what we did with our opportunities. Did we leverage them? Did we use the influence that God gave us to reach out to people that we know with the gospel? How did we use our resources? How did we use our money? These things will all be reviewed at the judgment seat of Christ. See 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. But this judgment won't be about success as we like to define success. Rather, it will be about our faithfulness to the Lord. You know, we can blame a lot of things for the tragedies in the world today. But God really makes it clear, you know, when we read his word that judgment is coming, amen. And where does judgment begin? The Bible say? Yeah. You guys are good Bible students. It begins in the house of God. It begins with me. It begins with you. You know. That's why it's important. Like I said to take this to heart, to think that judgment begins with us. So when I think about, you know, these senseless shootings, you know, in the country, these evil crimes that, that are carried out oftentimes by young men, you know, if you look at them statistically across the board, you know, I ask myself, where's the father? And, and I don't mean, where's the heavenly father? Where's the earthly father? I mean, that, that's, the, that's the elephant in the room it should be today. It has been for a long time. And the, and the church has been silent with regard to this. Where are all the dads? See, what kind of home life do these kids have? I mean, we, we're talking about, you know, here, I don't know anything about this kid. I just know he's 18 years old, and no parents are to be found anywhere. And you go, that, that's, a, that's a tragedy in and of itself. I was reading an article from Skip Heitzig, and he said this, Dr. Lauren Motion, he said from the National Institute of Mental Health, he analyzed census figures only to discover that the absence of a father to be a stronger factor than poverty in contributing to delinquency or juvenile delinquency. You know, of all the things that contribute to juvenile delinquency in our country, so an absent father is the number one cause. You know, we, we talk about looking within, you know. Why is that so important? You know, because, you know, on days like this, you know, when we—, we we look at a, a mass shooting that's taken place, it's, like I said, it's easy for politics to be center stage. We saw that if you saw the news you know, today in Texas. you know, someone to say that guns are the problem, but or they'll say poverty is the problem or racism is the problem. But the people who are studying it, the, the, the analyst, just has told us what the, the problem is. It's absentee fathers. It's absentee mothers. It's parents who aren't in the home. Part of that, you know, Kat talked about, you know, uh, in her prayer about idolatry. You go, how many, you know, again, how many families are so committed to chasing after possessions that, you know, who's raising your children? You know, I, I remember in the 1960s, let me think back to then, Bill Gothard, he it was called Bill Gothard. And it was, he had a thing, it was called Basic Youth Conflicts. He, he was a very large, uh, you know, uh, homeschool proponent. This was back when homeschool was almost unheard of, right? People thought he was a crazy man, you know, for the things, you know, of controlling, you know, our kids' education, be biblically centered. But he said something that was so profound. I mean, I've not, I've forgotten a lot of stuff, but I haven't forgotten this. He said, the earlier you institutionalize your children, the earlier your children will institutionalize you. He goes, because what are you doing? You're training where I'm going to get to in Proverbs 22, six. You know, so ultimately we're going to finish, you know, tonight, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, what do, you, what do we training our children to do? We need to be, like I said, praying for our homes. That's the thing I want to do with you before we go. You know, it's been well said, you know, the cure for crime isn't the electric chair, it's the high chair. And you think about that, the most formidable years in a child's life are what? From birth to three years old. You know, Socrates had said to the men of Athens, he said he marveled that they could turn over every stone to find wealth from themselves, but pay so little care to their children to whom they one day would relinquish it all. You think about that. So true. Is there any such thing as a perfect parent? No. So the aim isn't perfection. The aim is to do what? It's to be good. To be a good parent. that That's what we should be striving for. And you go, how can we... St- be, be good parents how many are parents in here by the way you're a parent good you know it doesn't matter and trust me you know my d- oldest turned 37 today um i'm still her dad okay i never cease to be her dad she can say oh dad all she wants but I, hey guess what <laughs> i'm still your dad no matter what now and, and my daughter's not like that she loves i could tell her anything my, my daughter is one of those she's a gift from heaven I mean, she loves Jesus with all of her heart, and it just—she she oozes love. She, she just—she loves people. She pretty much loves everything. She loves animals. She loves, you know, maybe not insects. That might be the only drawback in that. But, um, you know, when I think about being a good parent, if I can encourage you parents tonight, is be active in the life of your kids. We you think about Proverbs 22.6, you know, train a child in the way they should go. You can only do that by being active. You can't do that by being passive. You know, Solomon, like I said, when he wrote this, I mean, he had to be looking back, you know, in his own life, thinking about the relationship between David and Absalom, right? Seeing dysfunction, you know, in in the home and he's going, you know, and to see what it is to be an absentee father, a father that's so, you know, committed to the things of his kingdom, so to speak, that, you know, it's not happening at home. You know, I remember even as a youth pastor, you know, I would teaching the sanctuary every once in a while, and I would talk to the parents about, you know, kids, and I would just tell the parents, like, hey, if it's not happening at home, don't export it, you know? I mean, so whatever it is that we're doing, make sure that you're, it's happening at home, because, you know, again, home life is really the center of everything that we do. Um, there, there's just so much, you know, like I said, when you, you think about this, the NLT translation puts. Proverbs 22 6 like this and I like this it says direct your children onto the right path and when they're older they will not leave it they will not leave it it's not saying what people believe is that oh what happens is you take your kids to church when they're really young and then when they become teenagers they they go astray and then when they're in their 20s or 30s they come back no that's not what it's saying it's saying, you know, embed the truth in them so much they don't know any other way of life. It's not that we want to be parents that go, I just want my children to be subject to everything in the world and then let them make the decision. You go, no, no. You do that, you might as well just hand them over to the devil. You know, it's like, no, you, you, you shape, them just like you, you, where you, you want them to go. I love this expression. It says, wherever you want your children to go, go there first. Lead, lead by example. It's not just, take them to church. I can't tell you through the years how many parents just would drive in, drop their kids off, and they would use that time to go shopping or time to go to dinner and all these type of things. And you go, oh, just, you know, uh, you know, I just want to make sure that they, uh, I'm good with Jesus. And you go, do you don't think that they're not watching that? It's, it doesn't work. You know, train a child in the way. So that's through active participation. Now, what does that, that, that phrase mean, train up a child? And I love this, you know, when you think about it, it's a Hebrew word, it's, it's chenach, and it means to put something into someone's mouth or to affect or stimulate their taste. The midwives, what they would do is they would masticate like a, a date. They would chew it up, right? Make a paste out of it, and then they would put it on the, the palate of, of a newborn, and it would cause the baby to suck. That's how they got babies to breastfeed. And, and you think this is what it, God is saying as a parent is that we stimulate our children, we stimulate their taste. We're the ones that direct their taste buds. I, I love it having grandkids because, you know, I get to help them, you know, discover food. You know, I've helped them discover all the foods that their parents don't really want them to have either. That's that's another good thing about being a grandparent too. My my one of my granddaughters, Quinny, you know, like you can't get that kid hardly to eat anything good, you know. So My wife comes home. She goes, "What did Quinny have for lunch today?" I go, "What'd you have for lunch today, Quinny?" She goes, "Oreos." I go, "Milk, milk." (laughs) We had Oreos and milk. You know, let's stress the milk here, Quinny. Let's just don't leave the milk out. That's vitamin D fortified. You know, but they're going. I mean, but they know it. They're just like, man, it is hard to get that kid. I mean, you go, what do you want? And I go through the whole refrigerator. She makes me tell her everything that's in the refrigerator, even though she's not going to want any of it. I'm just like, we got to try something. So I have to try to bribe her with, you know, okay, we got to try this. She'll try a little, little nibble of something, but um, very, very difficult. But that's one of the things you try to do. You give them a little bit of something. You go, just try a bite. And I get excited. I'm like, yeah, I got her. I got her to try it at least. She says she doesn't like it, but at least what is she doing? You're trying it so you're hoping that what you can stimulate that taste well god tells us in his word that's what we do as parents we stimulate their taste for what for truth for righteousness for godly behavior you know how do we do that well you pray with them you read the word of god with them right you serve people with them all the things that you would want them to do on their own do it with them you know It's kind of like a a teaching a hospital. Watch one, do one, teach one, right? Tell them to watch you, then invite them to come along and help you, and then watch them do it. You know, it's discipleship. That's what discipleship is. It's a a process. Charles Colson, you know, prison fellowship, he said this years ago. He said, take away the family, and you might as well just build prison cells right now. And look around, you know, the state of California. We spend more money on building prisons than we do anything else. You know, you think about it. And it's sad. Why? It goes back to the root of the problem, fatherless homes, motherless homes. Without, you know, and, and this becomes the big argument, look at it, we've, we've sought to demasculize, you know, our society. You know, uh, that masculinity, you know, is, is something that, that is evil. And that's evil to teach that masculinity is evil, is really what it is. You know, uh, Scripture teaches, you know, we obviously need to be teaching, you know, uh, masculine leadership in our home. Because what does, it do to, what does it do in the life of our children? You know, it creates security. You know, I mean, they, they, your children, when they're scared, they want somebody to do what? To protect them. And they want somebody that is willing to surrender their life. Jesus said, no greater love is any man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. That they have that kind of comfort to know that, hey, no matter what, you know, you, you're, you will, even if it meant you die for me, you will, you will die for me. And that's communicated in the way that you live your life with your children. James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, wrote this years ago. He said, the Western world stands at a great crossroad in its history. He said, it's my opinion that our very survival as a people will depend on the presence or absence of masculine leadership in the home. And I think this was in the early 1980s when he said this, okay? You know, like I said, the, the stats, they're unbelievable. You know, over 44 years ago, it was 1978, you know, that's when I graduated from high school to put a date on that. Up to today, if you looked at the trend, you'd notice there's been this rise in violent crime among young people in our country. And it corresponds directly, the stats prove it out. The analysis demonstrates clearly that it's connected, you know, to fatherless homes in all cases, you know, that you look at this. I mean, it is, and it's disproportionately in black and Hispanic neighborhoods and it's sad. You know, fatherless homes, teenage aggression, hostility. You know, I mean, you look at that. They they totally mirror single-parent homes. It wasn't the way God intended. If it takes two people to create a baby, God's intent was it takes two people to raise a baby. I know that's not popular in the world, but again, but it's popular with God. That was God's plan and his intent I love, you know, Pastor Skip shared a story about a father and son back in the 1800s in the 19th century. There was a, he was pretty notable, busy politician. His name was Charles Francis Adams, a very important person in this community. He kept a journal they found after his death. And on one day he had written this in his journal, went fishing with my son today, a day wasted. And then they were able to locate his son's journal. They looked at the same date. It says in his son's journal, it says, when fishing with my dad today, the most wonderful day of my life. They were in the same boat, but they weren't on the same page. You know, you, you can say that. I love what Pastor Skip called that, called proximity without intimacy. Proximity without intimacy. I used to tell that, you know, to single adults all the time. I'd say, you know, it's better to be single, you know, and desiring a relationship than to be married And to be lonely. Because that's what happens. It's proximity without intimacy. That father and son were in the same boat together. They had proximity but they had no intimacy. And the same thing. you You can come to church and you can have proximity. You can be in a church. But that doesn't provide intimacy for you. That intimacy comes out of your own personal desire. To do what? To draw close to God. I like that quote that says. I'd rather go hunting with my son today. Than rather go hunting for my son tomorrow. How do you train up a child in the way they should go proximity with intimacy, proximity with intimacy. So many polls that are taken, you know, you know, it's so sad. And you think about this, you know, 42% of, of teens that were surveyed in one poll Gallup poll said they received no words of praise during the last 24 hour period of their life. Half of them got no hug, no physical contact, no kiss. Forty-four percent said they never heard the words, I love you. Dr. Dr. James Dobson, again, he reported that the majority of dads in, in this country have less than 30 seconds of meaningful conversation with their children every day. Less than 30. It's like, get up. Did you brush your teeth? Pick up your stuff. Make your bed. Listen to your mom. Boom. That's it. I like what one young girl writes though. She says, my dad says I'm enormously gorgeous, but I wonder if I really am. To be enormously gorgeous, Sarah says, you need to have beautiful, long, curly hair just like hers, but I don't. To be enormously gorgeous, Justin says, you must have perfectly straight white teeth like he has. I don't. To be enormously gorgeous, Jessica says that you can't have any of those little brown dots on your face called freckles. I do. To be enormously gorgeous, Mark says, you have to be the smartest kid in the seventh grade class. She says, I'm not. To be enormously gorgeous, Stephen says, you have to be able to tell the funniest jokes in all the school. I don't. To be enormously gorgeous, Lauren says, that you need to live in the nicest neighborhood in town and in the prettiest house. I don't. To be enormously gorgeous, Matthew says, you can only wear the coolest clothes and you must have the most popular shoes. I don't. To be enormously gorgeous, Samantha says, you need to come from a perfect family, and I don't. But every night at bedtime, my dad gives me a big hug, and he says, you are so enormously gorgeous and I love you. Hmm, my dad must know something my friends don't. <laughs> and you know, that's so true. You know, Kat, you don't mention that, you don't know, worship, I mean, you know, God loves you and he loves you like nobody loves you. Um, And and that's the most important thing that our kids grow up understanding. We talk about training our children the way they should go is to say, no matter what, no matter where you go in this life, you know, not just as parents, you go, that's where we demonstrate an unconditional love to them, not based on what they do, but because of whose they are, right? We love them because they belong to us. And that's the same thing with Father God. He loves us because we belong to him. You know, we can turn America around two ways. One, do what we do tonight. We pray. Amen. We intercede and don't ever discount the power of prayer. Just as God just puts things on your heart, pray without ceasing throughout the course of the day. You see kids walking down the street, pray for that kid. You, you see an ambulance go in a police car, pray, you know, that situation. I mean, there's so many millions of ways throughout the course of the day we can pray and, and it's effective. You'll get to heaven one day, trust me. And, and somebody's going to go, thanks. And you go, what? And you go, that day you prayed. I was walking, that was me walking down the road. Oh God, you'll be so, I mean, heaven is going to be one goose bump on top of another goose bump for you like that. And then proximity to intimacy. You know, I love that expression, wherever you're at, be all there, wherever you're at, just be all there. Make, make that your goal for the rest of this week. It's so easy to be distracted, to be so many other places, you know, and, and, miss those opportunities. But the people who are living life to the fullest they, they, you, you talk with them and they'll go, you know what, I make this determination in my life. Wherever I'm at, be all there. You're at home, be all there. Let work be work. You know, don't take it home with you. You cross in that, make that your, your, your sanctum, you know, at home. Wherever you're at, be all there. Especially when it comes to our kids. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Just thank you for just a little simple exhortation reminder tonight just kind of a break from what we normally are studying in jeremiah Um, but lord it it so echoes the thoughts of jeremiah to know that even when they were in captivity and in in the worst possible place that you would come to them and say i know the thoughts i think towards you says the lord not of evil not to harm you but to prosper you and to give you a hope and a future and lord that you are with them in the same way that you were with them you're with us and and, Lord, you would remind us, even in the struggles we're in and the state of our own country, that, God, you're, you're still here. You're still leading. You're still guiding. I think of that proximity with intimacy, that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, be with these as they go tonight. Help them, Lord, as as they leave this place for all of us, Lord, wherever we're at this rest of this week. Help us to be all there, attuned. Lord, to what you have for us. Aware, Lord, of your leading, your guiding. Fill us with the right words, the right thoughts, Lord. Help us to see things through your eyes and to hear through your ears, Lord. Let us be the church that you created us to be. Let us be Jesus with skin on today and throughout this week. For your glory and for the good, Lord, of our our families, the good of our friends, the good of our community, the good of this world. To God, be the glory